we have for the, the announcements and stuff. So I want to um, introduce to you uh, the speaker this morning. You guys know this. We've been in a series called Heal. And um, I want to I cover for you, we've, we've, we've been addressing this big question in this series, how do we heal from sin and how we heal from being sinned against? And I want to review for you just the last couple of weeks what we've, ca- what we've talked about. Um, go to my next slide here. We've got um, a list of how the talks have gone so far. So the first week, we identified the problem of sin that separates us from God. Then we talked about the remedy, which is the gospel and Jesus um, the following week. And putting your faith and trust in him, surrendering your, surrendering your life to him is how we deal with this problem called sin. And then um, Kim Ronsleben talked to you guys about the fight of faith. Um, whenever you uh, surrender your life to Christ, it's not like it just ends there and you just kind of wait for eternity to start. Um, we believe that God has given us the Holy Spirit to fight against sin through confession and through repentance. And that fight is not done in our own strength. It's done through him. And so she discussed that, that that week. And then last week we talked about um, suffering from sin. How do we really heal from when someone sins against us? How does the Holy Spirit heal us from that kind of suffering that we go through in our lives? So um, today's talk is, uh, is called Fighting Temptation. And I've asked a guy named Jonathan Doherty from Be Broken Ministries in San Antonio to come in and speak to you guys. And as I began thinking about this... Um, you know, when I was in seventh grade, I had a life science class. I went to a Christian school, and I had a life science class. And the, the teacher that we had in that class was kind of an odd guy, okay? He was um, a guy who was embarrassed to talk about uh, sexuality in front of a bunch of seventh graders, which is not a crazy thought, right? Seventh graders are kind of weird and a little bit squeamish, so um, he was uncomfortable there. So he, he had a guest speaker for that couple of sessions come in. This lady had... Um, no problem talking about stuff in front of seventh graders. And he's at the back of the classroom the entire time, like blushing, turning red as she's talking at the front of the class. And we're like listening to her and we're like doing this. How's he responding to this, right? And so I began thinking about this and thought, this kind of looks like what I'm doing with Jonathan being here, isn't it, right? Um, but that's not my intention. My intention is to bring in someone who, because listen, I don't mind talking about sexuality. You guys know that's true, right? I don't mind talking about that. But, um, I want to bring Jonathan in here because I really feel like God has um, gifted him to speak about these issues, and we want to focus this talk on fighting temptation, especially in the areas of sexuality and pornography. The things he's going to talk about, though, are going to apply to the entire sanctification process for you, the entire spiritual growth process for you, not just those issues of temptation, okay? And so this morning... I want you to put your phones away, um, just focus this morning on what he has to say. He'll share some of his story with you, I'm sure, in a little bit, and, uh, and you get to hear from a great man of God this morning. So let's give it up for Jonathan Darty. Well, thanks. Good morning. I'm, I'm grateful to Dave and Temple Bible Church for having me in here. I didn't tell them that I was bringing a lighter and gasoline and a plant, and that was on purpose. I wanted to be able to actually be invited to come here. But I want to ask you a question, and this happened before in the other one. We got a lot of wind up here. Is fire good or bad? Okay, I heard somebody say depends. What does it depend on? Like how it's used, right? So if I was to take this fire here and I was to light this candle, then 
there's something good about that. There's, it's not dangerous. It's, uh, it puts off light. It's beautiful. In this particular candle, it even gives off a, a fragrance, a scent. Um, but it's contained. It's under control. And that's one of the things that causes fire to then, then give us that beauty and, and something that's good is it's, it's contained. If this were to get outside of that container, if I were to, let's say, just throw it on the floor, all of a sudden, this would not be good. <laughs> it would, it's destructive. It'll destroy everything. If left outside of a container and out of control, fire just continues to, to grow. You know, God told us at the very beginning... He did something very good. He made male and female. After he made Adam and Eve, the first humans, he said, he looked back at his creation and he said, it's very good. In other words, he declared maleness and femaleness very good. He declared our sexuality good. So that's where it's a little bit different from the fire. Fire is just neutral. It's how you use it that makes fire either good or destructive. God, from the very beginning, actually said, your sexuality is good. It already started out good. But here's the thing. He gave it to us as a gift. What that means is that we still get to be the ones to ultimately choose how we're going to use it. And because of sin in the world, there's all kinds of things that are trying to get you to use your sexuality outside of the container, outside of the boundaries that God's placed on it. And by the way, just so you know, the container that God has established for your sexuality is marriage. One man with one woman for life. That's the container. But there's all kinds of things that want to tempt you to take that good thing that God has given us of maleness and femaleness of your sexuality and take it outside of that container. I was introduced to one of these things when I was 12 years old. It's called pornography. I doubt there's anybody in this room that's not heard the word pornography. In fact, we know statistically that of the people in this room, 93% of you guys have seen porn. We know that 62% of you girls have seen porn. So I want you to know I'm not ignorant to what you're doing, okay? Now, I'm not going to call you up on stage. I'm not going to ask what you're doing specifically. But I want you to know so that we're on the same page. I understand what you're going through because I was introduced to porn at 12 years old and didn't have a clue what to do about it. It scared me. It overwhelmed me. I mean, it was something that I'd never seen before. And I never told anybody about it. And that was where the real danger started for me, was because I tucked it away as a secret, it had a chance to grow in the dark. And by the way, sin grows in the dark. The longer you keep sin in the dark, the more it's going to grow. Don't fool yourself into saying, you know, I can figure this out on my own. If I just keep it a secret, if I don't tell anybody, then somehow I'll figure out the answer. No, you won't. It'll just get worse. The answer is in the light. But I went through all of my junior high and high school developing an addiction to pornography and fantasy, and masturbation. These were my drugs all throughout junior high and high school, and I wasn't telling anybody about it. And you, know you want to know something? I grew up in this church. Not this building, it wasn't here then, but I grew up in this church. I was a member of the youth group. I was active in the youth group. Don't be fooled into thinking that we can come to church and somehow just our external behaviors are actually going to have the kind of impact that we would hope they'd have on our internal uh, thoughts and, and beliefs. And this, is, this was the struggle I had, was I knew the truth. By the way, you're in a great church. This church teaches the truth. The Word of God is opened every single week. That's the truth. 
But sometimes when we go out of this place or out of these types of environments where we're told the truth and we're encouraged to be men and women of God, we go out of these places and guess what? All those things are tempting us to take this good thing outside of the boundary that God has set it in. And we're lured by pornography. We're carrying around in our pockets and in our purses high-speed internet access that's unfiltered, that we can get access to all kinds, of, all kinds of things. There's all kinds of temptations that are trying to pull us away from that. Eventually, I went beyond just pornography and I started being sexual with girls. And then I got married eventually and thought marriage would cure me. It didn't. I continued looking at pornography. I ended up having multiple affairs. I got into prostitution and other illegal activities. And I even got to the point where I had a gun pointed at my head with the safety off, trying to think of one good reason not to pull the trigger. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And a lot of times, we want to be real quick to make that something other than like physically dying. We want to make that like, well, you know what? Yeah, you know, it makes me feel bad. And, and maybe I, like emotionally, I'm not feeling too good. And maybe spiritually, yeah, I don't grow as much. I believe that sin, the more you, the more you work for it, it will eventually literally kill you because that's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. The good news is finally I reached what a lot of people like to call rock bottom, and I was completely broken. That's one of the reasons that our ministry is named Be Broken Ministries. There's value in brokenness because when you are finally broken of your sin, when you're finally kind of cracked open, the light can come in and your secrets can be exposed and you can finally get the help that you need. And that's what happened in my life. Finally, my life was broken. It was cracked open. And all those secrets that I was carrying, I couldn't carry them anymore. They eventually came out. My wife left, and I started a journey of recovery. The good news is by God's grace, I went through a, a, a substantial amount of recovery. And also by God's grace, my marriage was restored. I have three children who are in eighth grade, seventh grade, and fifth grade. And I've been doing this ministry for the past 11 years full time. I want to give you hope that no matter what you're struggling with right now and to, no matter what depth you've gone to it, the grace of God is always going to extend farther than whatever you've journeyed. So no matter how much you're involved in porn, no matter how much you're acting out sexually, God's grace can actually transform and bring new life and go, he will extend that grace further than your sin has gone. That's the good news. Now I want to share with you kind of the top 10 lessons that I learned from porn and that is still being taught today. These are subliminal messages that porn is teaching you. And then I want to share with you the corresponding truth so that you can see that what the truth says is not what porn says. Number 10, porn says that your bodies are only meant for sexual pleasure. That's what porn will teach you. Your body is, you're one-dimensional, meaning your body is only meant for sexual pleasure. Forget about the truth, which is that your body was made by God for a wide array of experiences and pleasures. Things like hugs and food and music, laughter, sports, exercise, work, smile, sleep. There's all kinds of pleasures that God has made our bodies for. But you know what porn will teach you? It's only for sexual pleasure. That's the only reason that you have a body is just for sexual pleasure. Another lie that porn will teach you, number nine, is that a person's value is based on their sexual appeal or appearance. So on the one hand, it says your body is only made for sexual pleasure, but then it also says your value as a human being is totally based on your sexual appeal. How attractive are you? And guys, this is all through. This is not just a young person issue. I know 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds in my circle of friends that they are still buying into this lie 
that their worth and their value hinges on their appearance. Why do you think guys have midlife crises? <laughs> They're believing this lie. Oh my goodness, I'm getting the gut and I'm losing my hair and all this kind of stuff and, and I don't have any sexual appeal anymore. So I better go out and buy a Ferrari and you know, get a tummy tuck or whatever. I mean, all kinds of stuff. But it, that's what porn will teach you. Porn teaches you that your value is based on your appearance. Number eight, porn teaches you that sex is something to be taken, and even, if by, even by force if necessary. See, porn, 90% of the scenes in pornography are aggressive in nature or violent. So porn teaches you that sex is all about taking. But guess how God made sex? God made Adam before he made Eve. And when he looked at Adam, he, there's, there's this fully male, perfect man. By the way, this was before sin entered the world. Here's this perfect male. He looks at him and he says, it's not good for him to be alone. Basically, God was looking at him and, and everything about him, including his sexuality, he said, it's not good for him to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable. And he made, he made Eve. And then they were able to come together. In other words, from the very beginning, God never intended sexuality to be self-focused. Sex was never something to be taken and stolen away. Certainly never something that was meant to be violent. Number seven of the lies that porn teaches is that love is optional when it comes to sex. Porn will say love has nothing to do with it. And by the way, we're not even to marriage yet. We're just talking about love. Porn reduces us to no better than the animal kingdom. That basically, sex is all about urges. You got an urge, you better go act on it. That's what porn will teach you. But what God says, God did not create sex to be expressed apart from love. Did you know that when God is describing Christ's love for the church, he uses the analogy of a, a groom and his bride? He uses, and by the way, just so you don't freak out, there are actually some Old Testament passages that talk about God's affection and intimacy that he wants with his bride, his people, that actually are the same terms that he uses for sexual intimacy in the Bible. Scary, right? You're telling me that God wants to be so close to me, it's like almost the same as having sex? Yes. That's the kind of intimacy that God has described. It's not apart from love. There's no way that he designed our sexuality to be expressed apart from love. Also, porn will then teach us, number six, that marriage or faithfulness is totally unnecessary to sexual expression. Whereas God said, it's the only context in which I built it. I didn't build your sexuality to be passed around and, and to be outside of this particular context. Number five, it says, porn will teach you that my sexual urges are more important than your desires or your boundaries. One of the fundamental things that porn teaches is that it's all about you. That everything centers. It's me, me, me. My desires, my urges, my pleasures. And so if you are unwilling to meet my desires, then that doesn't matter. Porn will teach you that it's all about me. And so this is where we have rape. This is where we have a lot of violence again. This is the, the forcefulness that often happens in sexual relationships is because porn teaches that it's all about me. Number four is that porn teaches that the best sex is rough, maybe even violent. Like I said before, you know, 90% of scenes in porn are aggressive in nature. God never intended 
for us to hurt one another sexually. If our sexuality is created by God as a gift to give to our spouse, then it's as an act of love. And do you want to destroy and hurt and beat up that which you love? If you truly love it, no. You want to care, you want to nurture, you want to protect, you want to do good to those who you love. <coughs> Number three lie is that porn teaches us that the more sexual partners you have, the better. I mean, we're taught in our culture, and certainly porn teaches us, that one is not enough. You know, it's sort of the idea, this is kind of the, the thumbnail of the idea. Hey, well, if one is good, a lot more must be better, right? It's the idea of excess. You know, you can't really be satisfied sexually unless you have more, more, more. I'm going to tell you something personally. I've been on both sides of this coin. I've done the more, more, more. I was a sex addict for 13 years of my life. And I can tell you this, more is not better. If anything, more will numb you out. It will numb you emotionally. It will numb you spiritually. I got to the point where every single sexual act I had was felt more like a duty than anything of any pleasure because I was like, I was trapped. I was being controlled by my addiction. It was not about anything that was good. And what I've discovered is having been on both sides of this issue, having done more, 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 and then also for the last 15 years been absolutely, totally faithful to one woman, going deep emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically with one person is infinitely more pleasurable than having a bunch of just faceless, nameless partners. I'm telling you, guess what? That's the way God designed it. God designed it. My wife and I, and I, I'm not, I don't want to get too, I don't hope this won't be too personal, but I want you to hear this because I think it's important for you to think of this as you think forward into marriage. My wife and I, we will sort of, we get kind of giddy now because we go, man, sex after nearly 20 years of marriage is way better than it was when we were first married. You know why that is? Because God meant for the two to become one. And that's not just a one-time thing. That's a lifetime journey of two becoming one. I'm here to tell you that if you will think of your sexuality with the same value and price tag that God has put on it, that when he made Adam and Eve, he said it's very good. Maleness, femaleness, very good. If you will hold to that same high value that God has placed on your sexuality and reserve that for the intimacy that you can have in your marriage, guess what? You can't even imagine how good the sex is going to be. And I hope that's not too personal, but that's the truth. That's the way God made it. Number two of these porn lies is that sexuality is to be worshipped. Porn teaches us that essentially we should make sex an idol. That we should, we should worship sexuality. But the Bible says that sexuality is a created thing. In the same way that our hands and our feet and the the trees around us are all created things, and we are told there's only one who is worthy of worship, and that's the Creator. God, the Creator, is worthy of worship. Nothing created is worthy of worship. And if you do that, if you get off track with worshiping sex, then there are consequences that come with that. And then number one, the number one lie I believe that porn teaches us is that everything is sexual. Everything. The more you consume porn, the more everything you do and see and be, and and uh, engage in life goes through sort of this porn grid. 
to where you can't even have a conversation that you don't sexualize every single word in that conversation. Everything is innuendo. Everything is sexual. And that's a pornographic thought system. And so the Bible says, though, that everything is God's. He created it all. And so he's the one that ultimately gets to define how we engage all of it, including our sexuality. And so we need to step back and say, okay, am I going to become a one-dimensional, sex-crazed, sex-thinking person? Or am I going to become the multifaceted, incredible, uh, created in the image of God person that he's made me to be? With all these varied interests, with all these varied talents and skills, that I'm not this one-dimensional person that's meant to just only view life and everything in it through a sexual grid. But I'm to see that all of it, everything, including my sexuality, is God's. And I'm willing to surrender that to him the way I might surrender anything else. So sex is good. Being male is good. Being female is good. But the question is, how are you going to use your sexuality? See, God set up particular boundaries. Uh, We know this originally is to be the, the Ten Commandments. These are laws, right? Now, when God gave the Ten Commandments, do you think he gave the boundaries to punish us or to protect us? Anyone? Okay, I'm going to tell you the answer. Protect. (laughs) And I realize that there are some of you out there that honestly probably didn't know that answer. And this is not about shaming you. It's trying to instruct you. Because I have to admit, even though the right answer is that God sets boundaries in our lives to protect us, I have to tell you the truth. There have been plenty of times in my life that I thought his boundaries were there to punish me if I'm real honest about how I felt about him, if I'm real honest about how I've reacted to some of the, the laws that God has put, I feel like, man, doesn't that restrict me from like having fun? Doesn't that restrict me from doing what I want? But here's the thing. God's laws are there to protect us. In the same way that we have got to contain this fire, we've got to put a boundary around it, we've got to have some controls on it, otherwise it's very destructive, the same thing God has had to do in our lives. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, all of a sudden there's all, there's thousands of influences that want to take you outside of how God has designed you. Not just sexually, but in your whole life. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and otherwise. And so his boundaries are there because he says, I know I made you. And I know how you're going to function best. And I know within which environments you're going to function best. So when he put those boundaries around us, he did it to protect us. But I want to tell you, sometimes we see his boundaries as only behavioral. Like, hey, listen, as long as I don't cross over this line and actually do something, like as long as I don't go out and actually have have sex with somebody, I can kind of do whatever I want to in my head. In my own mind, I can just kind of do whatever I want. Because, I mean, the boundary is really what I do, right? Well, they thought that until Jesus came on the scene. Jesus came on the scene and in his his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I'm going to expose to you the heart of the law. Because a lot of you folks, you have down the letter of the law, which is behavior, like where's the behavior line? But you, you don't understand God's heart toward it. He said, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But do you know if you have hatred toward a brother, you've already committed murder in your heart? Whoa. See, you might be able to stand up in this room and say, you know what, I've never actually taken a knife and driven it through somebody's heart and watched them breathe their last. But you know what, I've been holding the grudge for a year. I've got hatred in my heart towards somebody. From God's perspective, he said, that's no different than murder. It's the same. Jesus also said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Which, by the way, 
Adultery is anything sexual outside of this context. That's what adultery is. He said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. See, uh, you might be able to stand up and say, I haven't done these sexual acts. I haven't done these acts of sexual inappropriateness. But you know what? You got all these fantasies and lustful thoughts going on. And Jesus was saying from God's perspective, there's no line there. It's still adultery. And so we need to be thinking not about just what we're doing and saying, hey, if I got this nice little... Because guys, I was in your position once in a youth group, active. If somebody looked at my behaviors, they would have gone righteous and checked the box. But guess what God was looking at? He wasn't looking at my behaviors. He was looking at my heart. And what he was saying is, you know what? We got some work to do. We got some work to do because there's darkness in your heart. There are things that are sinful in your heart. And from God's perspective, he was saying, I don't see that any differently than if you had actually gone out and done all these acts. So we need to also be concerned about what we are thinking. What we are thinking. If you're thinking thoughts of sexual lust, if you're consumed with thoughts and and your whole like grid through which you see life is this sexual grid, that needs to be dealt with. That needs to be something that you bring up into, with some safe people and work through. But guess how we get our thoughts? One of the main ways I think we get thoughts that are especially that are, that are concerning to us regarding sexuality is by what we see. What are we letting our eyes see? What's on that screen in front of you? And by the way, this isn't just images. Do you know that 40% of teenagers send or post sexually suggestive messages on social media. It's text, too. If you're sending and receiving sexually suggestive messages, you're stepping outside of how God has designed your sexuality to work. And you're seeing that, and that's causing thoughts in your mind. And guess what? Our thoughts eventually lead to our actions. Don't fool yourself into saying that guys do this a lot of times. Guys, guys will fool themselves into thinking, listen, you know what, I can just... I can have an elaborate fantasy life, but I would never do, and then we say what we would never do. I had the never do lines in my life, and I crossed every single one of them. I would never have sex before marriage, cross that line. I would never cheat on my wife, cross that line. I would never do anything illegal, cross that line. As long as things stay in the dark and stay secret, you are slowly dying. See, I want to share with you what you're actually made for because this is the key. God declared maleness and femaleness very good. If he declared it very good, then he gets to say how it gets used. And he gets to tell us what we're actually made for. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For you know, excuse me, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. By the way, that word sanctification, it means the ongoing process of purification. Because see, we're saved by grace but then we're also transformed by grace. Uh, don't think that you, because you may have what we call fire insurance, yeah, I've trusted Christ for my eternal salvation. I know he gives me eternal life as a free gift by his grace. Don't think that God is, is content with leaving you in whatever state you're in when you come to Christ. His whole purpose in saving you is to actually make you more and more into his image. And so that's what sanctification is. And he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the heathens who do not know God. 
For God has not called us to live an impure life, but to live a life of holiness. You know, when I first started my recovery, I was floored when I read that verse. Because up to that point, I really thought, this must be what my life is for. My body is just for sex. Uh, My life is just for all these sexual things. And God showed me there, I've placed a value on your life. And I've shown, I'm going to tell you what you were created for. You weren't created for impurity. You were created for holiness. In other words, you were created for your life to run, function on the holiness of God, not porn. How many of you drive a car? Okay. Uh, What's the primary fuel that most cars still run on? Gasoline, right? It's a shame that I have to change that question. But anyway, gasoline. So what would happen, first of all, what would you think if I decided after this talk to go out to your car, siphon all the gas out, and then put sand in your fuel tank? Well, if it's your parents' car, you probably don't care, right? But if it's yours, you're probably going to care. Why? Why would you be upset if I put sand in the fuel tank? It won't work, right? It's not designed to run on sand in the fuel tank. That's what this verse is saying about our lives. You and I are not designed to run on sand in the fuel tank of our lives. What's sand? Porn. Porn is sand. You're pouring sand into the fuel tank of your life. And the more you pour it in there, guess what? It gets, it gets clogged up. And just like the car example, do you know what a mess and how expensive that is to clean that up? That's, that's, a, that's a long project. So the more you're putting sand into the fuel tank of your life through pornography and other impure things, you're clogging up the way God made you to operate. You know, Jesus also told us in John chapter 15 that we're meant to grow or produce fruit. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we're meant to bear much fruit or grow in our faith. Now, I have a plant here, and I need a volunteer. Who's a volunteer? Young lady right here. You can come up. Now, I've got a plant here, and, and what do plants need to grow? They need water, right? Okay, so I have water. I have some water in this jar here. You can smell it and make sure it's water, okay? Now, so are you telling me that this is what causes a plant to grow, right? Theoretically. Theoretically, huh? Okay. What else causes a plant to grow? Sunlight, nutrients in the soil, grass Sure, but it also needs water, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's not the only thing. If you, if, I'll tell you this. This plant needs water. <laughs> if you never gave this plant water in, in central Texas, it would die, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're gonna, I'm going to have you pour that water on that plant. Just wherever. Just pour it, pour it on the water or just pour it on the plant. And now, since water is necessary for this plant to grow... We're going to step back and watch it grow. Did we do something wrong? Okay. No, we didn't do anything wrong, right? But if you put water on this plant, you're not instantly going to see a bud. You're not instantly going to see growth, right? Guess what? The same is true in our lives. If we're pouring in the holiness of God, if we're, you know, we're feeding on the Word of God, we're pouring the Word of God into our lives... It doesn't mean that you're instantly going to see growth. So it takes time in order for us to grow. Now, I want you to take, be careful, but I want you to take a whiff of this and see if you can tell me what that is. Do you know what that is? 
Gasoline, yes. Now, is gasoline a good nutrient to put on, on plants? Okay, so this will most likely kill that plant, right? So I want you to pour it on there. Just make sure you get it down here. Let's not, uh, yeah, just pour it all, all of it on there. Just pour it all on there. And now we're going to watch it die. Okay, so let's just step back and watch this thing. Watch this thing die. Don't worry, I'm going to keep that a little bit farther away from there. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I'm not really seeing anything happening. Did we do that wrong? I mean, if, if gas is going to cause that to die, uh, it seems to me like we must have done something wrong. Exactly. Thank you very much for your help. See, when we poured that gas on there, that gas will kill that plant, but it won't happen instantly. Did you know the same is true with pouring porn into your life? Pouring impurity into your life. Don't be fooled into thinking because, you know, you've looked at a little porn and you've done a few sexual things here and you've done some of this and you haven't seen immediate destruction in your life. Don't think that has not set the wheels in motion of, of killing you. The wages of sin is death. So in the same way that this plant doesn't immediately die when we pour gas on it, it will eventually die. Here's the good news, though. In this example, it doesn't matter what we do from this point on, this plant will die. I don't care how much water you put on it. I don't care how much fertilizer you put on it. It's going to die. The good news, though, in our lives, if we've been pouring in porn, we've been pouring in impurity, guess what God says to us? Psalm 103.10, he says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He looks at your life and he says, you know what, I see all that sand that you put in your fuel tank. And you know what, I see all of that gas that you've been pouring on the soil of your heart. And you deserve to stop working and die. But that's not how I treat you. I don't treat you according to what you deserve. And he says, I can make this thing that should die come to life again. He can give us living water. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just what you're confessing, but all unrighteousness. He's saying, I can bring new life out of what you have been basically destroying, and I can change the outcome. Now, here's the thing that I think is very important. I've got to get something out of my pocket here. Something that I think is very important that you remember through this process one is life is hard. You're going to be tempted a lot. And guess what? You are not going to handle every temptation well. Everybody stumbles. We're told in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're told in Ecclesiastes 7.20, there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Every single one of us will stumble at some point in time. And I want to tell you one of the favorite tools of the enemy that he will try to use to keep you down to keep you on a course toward death. It's called shame. And the way shame works is it's essentially the enemy bringing all of your sins, all of your failures, all the goofy, stupid things you've done, and essentially trying to keep them right in front of your face and saying, see, this is who you really are. This is what you're really worth. This is why God can't love you. This is why he would never actually want you. That's what shame does. What I'm holding here is a $20 bill. How many of you want 20 bucks? Everybody's hand shoots up. I even see parents' hand shooting up. <laughs> Why? 
For gas. Okay, somebody who needs... Yeah. Why else? Why do you want 20 bucks? Food, okay. Why do you want this versus if I held up a piece of paper that was exactly the same size with nothing on it? Why would you want this instead of that? It has value, right? It's worth $20. Now, imagine that this is your life. The good news is that God places a much higher value on your life than 20 bucks, okay? In fact... I want you to know that you are not priceless, no matter what your parents have said, all right? You're not priceless. There's actually a specific value that's been placed on your life by God, the life of his only son. That's how much you are worth, way more than 20 bucks. But here's the thing. If this is your life and God's placed a value on your life, what ends up happening is porn and and all this other stuff that's outside of the boundaries and the gas that you're pouring on your, the soil of your heart, it's like you're getting just destroyed. I mean, you are getting crumpled. You're getting crushed. By the way, we're, talk, we're told in Scripture a lot of times that the sin acts like a weight. We're carrying a weight. Even, even David, King David, said that his sin felt heavy on him. It was a heaviness. So that heaviness is crushing you into a little ball. That may be what you look like. Does anybody still want this? Why? Look at it. So what you're saying is it's still worth 20 bucks, right? The only thing that changes is its appearance, right? How it looks to everyone else. You know what? Some people might look at this and because they can't readily make it out to be worth 20 bucks, they might pass by it if it's sitting on the ground. You know what? God never does. He looks at that wadded up life and he says, you know what, I'm the one that actually placed value on you. I know what you're worth no matter what you look like. I know what you're worth no matter what's crushed you in life. No matter what has happened to you, I know what you're worth. It doesn't change. And you know what's cool about the grace of God? Is he's even willing to come alongside of us and say, and if you'll let me, I can completely reshape your life into how you were intended to be seen, how you were intended to function, so that everyone in the world can also see your value, so that they can know that you have an identity that goes beyond what you've done. You have an identity that is firmly rooted in Christ because he says you're worth so much more than what you may look like you're worth. And this is what I want to leave you with. By God's grace, I want to encourage you and challenge you to live within the boundaries that God has set. He's not out to punish you. He's actually out to give you what Jesus called abundant life. And guess where it's only found? Inside the boundaries that God's established. So I want to challenge you to that. And, and one of the ways that I want to practically challenge you to consider that is to think about the standard that God has set for our sexuality, that there's a particular context in which God says you are allowed and even encouraged to express your sexuality in marriage. And I want you to think about what you were looking at what you were thinking, and what you were doing in light of that standard. And everything that doesn't line up with that standard, I want you to connect with somebody that's safe in your life. Maybe it's a group leader in the youth group. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a, you know, a mentor. And I want you to open up to them about those areas where you feel like you're falling short in what you're looking at, what you're thinking, and what you're doing. Bring what's in the dark into the light. And then my second challenge to you is that I'm going to encourage you to live the way you're made. 
You're made for purity. So live like it. Live the way you're made. Live with the value that God's placed on you. Don't let other people base your value on your looks or anything else. Say, no, wait a second. I'm a beloved child of God. He says I'm worth the life of his only son. I'm not going to let you drag me down because my worth is way more than my body. My worth is way more than my looks. My worth is way more than these one-dimensional things that other people want to try to stamp you with and say, this is what you're worth, this is what you're worth, this is what you're worth. Instead, let your creator tell you what you're worth and live the way he's made you. Let's pray. God, we just come before you with a grateful heart. We're thankful that you have chosen to give us value that doesn't fluctuate. No matter what's happened to us in life, you say that, you, that we were worth dying for. We were worth loving. We were worth restoring and changing. So Lord, I pray for every single one of these students in here that they would know that right now. That they would know that their value is unchangeable before you. That you would protect them from those who would try to speak words of untruth into their lives about their worth and their value. And Lord, that you would help them to see that forgiveness and restoration is available for those who are struggling here today, for those who are carrying secrets, for those who are drowning in pornography or other kind of sexual behaviors. I pray that you would give them the courage to open up with some safe people in their lives, that they can begin to work through those struggles and and really live into the design for which you've made them. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you first loved us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank Jonathan for uh, speaking to us this morning. Um, I've actually invited... Uh, a lot of your parents to come to a parent conference just after this is finished this morning. Um, we've got about 160 parents that have registered for this um, event today um, after uh, we finish here. And um, let me tell you kind of why uh, Tim and I felt just compelled to invite him in for this weekend because um, as a youth pastor, and I know Tim feels the same way as a junior high pastor, um, we feel really burdened and and just grieved at just where we're at in our culture when it comes to these kinds of issues. Um, not just actual pornography, but just where we are in our sexuality as a culture, especially with how we, we see Christians and so-called Christians in our church living those things out um, in their lives. And I don't mean this in a judgmental sense, like, you know, hey, we're going we're gonna to fix all this in, in one weekend because we can't do it in one weekend. But we want it to be a start and um, when I was in, uh, I graduated high school, believe it or not, in 1995. That's almost 20 years ago, which is crazy to think about. Um, and it seems like it was five years ago, but it's 20 years ago almost. And I can still remember um, when I was in college, just the, the, that was like the advent of the internet when like everything started getting put online. And lots of stories started coming out about pornography on the internet and so on. It was kind of a new thing. And, and I knew that in my, in my room, when I was in college, I knew that if I had internet access in my room, that it'd be too much temptation to deal with. I, I knew I could not have internet in my room because of that. I just knew it. I didn't want that temptation in my room 24-7. And that was back when it was dial-up internet. That was back when one picture would take like 20 minutes to download, okay? So you, you, say, you, you hear that. And now you see where we are today, where you've got high-speed access 
wherever and whenever you want on all kinds of devices. And, and I, just, I just know, because I'm human, I know just the immense struggle that many of you are currently having and have had throughout this part of your life. And so we want you to know um, that we know the struggle is real. We know that um, a high percentage of people in this room are currently struggling. And I don't just mean pornography, as Jonathan talked about, whether it's through um, sending people that you know pictures, sending people that you know messages. Um, listen, I continue to hear um, about sexting happening at this church. I continue to hear about that among teenagers in our church. So I know it happens. But I want you to know this morning that, that we have a talk like this this morning, um, not just for you to come in and, and walk out and say, okay, that was a good message. I'll try to do better next time. But our goal this morning is to, it's kind of like dropping a rock into a lake. When you drop a rock into a lake, it has a ripple effect that goes to the shore. And that's our goal this morning is to essentially see a ripple effect take place in your life as a result of what happens here this morning. And that should result in things like confession and repentance, and you even maybe going to your parents and saying, Mom and Dad, look, I know you think I'm a, I don't struggle with these things, but I can't have access like this to the internet. I can't have access on, the iP- on, on my iPhone or my iPad, or I can't have Netflix streaming in my room. I mean, it's time for you guys to say to your parents, look, like, I know you think I'm okay in these areas, but I'm not. Like, I'm struggling big time, and I can't have this kind of access um, to these kinds of things. I'm, it's just killing me. And so what we want to see happen as a result of this morning is for that ripple effect to take place in your life where we actually see, and, and, and trust me, I'm your leader, one of your leaders. Um, that should result in you guys going to people that you trust, parents, leaders, even myself, and saying, look, Dave, like, we need help. Like, we, we actually want help from you guys in these areas. Look, you will not be shamed by us. You will not be shamed by us. I can promise you that. The point of this talk this morning is to just know, like, I, trust me, if I see any teenager, I automatically think, yeah, they're, they're probably struggling like I would have if I was in that situation when I was that age. Like, there's no, there's no better than. We're not better than anybody here. We want you to know, we want to walk along with you in these kinds of issues and struggles and we're here for you as you walk through those kinds of things. Because I'll tell you, I've actually gone several months um, here in our high school ministry with, from what I understand, my leaders included, like no one really bringing these kinds of sin struggles to us and saying, hey, I'm struggling here. And I know it's happening. I know it is. And it concerns me that it's just kind of the secret thing that no one really talks about, and you're having a struggle by yourself or just think that, yeah, it'll pass once I eventually get married. And as Jonathan said, that's not the case. That's not the case. And so to this morning is kind of an invitation towards that, um, for it to take place in your life.